In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Why should we have children? (laughs) For many, this is either a moral or a practical dilemma. So philosopher Christine Overall, who wrote a book a few years back called Why Have Children? An Ethical Debate. She says that it's hard to justify having children in our day given the world's limited resources. So she makes an argument from scarcity that it is perhaps immoral to bring children into this world. And she says if you must have children, she says you should be limited to two, to what she calls procreative replacement. This will keep your impact on the world as neutral as possible. Now another factor that might give folks some pause in having children is the inherent danger that exists in the world. To bring children into the world is to expose them to danger. And especially those of you who have small kids, you know they're constantly testing the limits. They're constantly running out into streets and going to an edge of a cliff. Having children is risky. Another factor, children are expensive. The latest study I saw said that the average American will spend upwards of $200,000 per child by the time they turn 18. Kind of boggles the mind. Another factor that gives folks pause, children can get in the way of some of your own ambitions and dreams and hopes. Children are very inconvenient. Now, this is a rather negative view of childbearing and child rearing. In this view, children need a justification. But there's another perspective on children and how we're to think about and consider children, and it's one that the Bible gives us. If we see life, the life that we have right now, the breath that we are breathing, if we see life as inherently valuable, as a gift from God, then naturally we should see the giving and passing down of life and the nurturing of life as a good and right thing. Forming a family requires a belief in the goodness of life and a settled faith, a settled faith in God that relieves our desires to try to control absolutely everything. Bearing and raising children is full of risk. It is disruptive, absolutely. It is expensive. But life, we have to think, even without children, is full of risk. It's unpredictable. It's expensive financially and emotionally in many other ways. Scripture tells us that children, our basic view of children should be that they're a blessing. They are a gift. There is an inherent goodness in life and an inherent goodness in bringing life into the world. This fall, we're in a series we're calling The Gift of others, relationships in the kingdom of God. We're to understand as Christians that the relationships that we have, the ones that we like, the ones we don't like, these are gifts. These are gifts that we're called to steward, that gifts that come with a blessing, yes, but gifts also that come with responsibility. We need lots of wisdom in how we engage and love and enjoy these gifts. Valuable gifts or blessings, and a responsibility. And the invaluable gift of children, Scripture teaches, is a blessing and a responsibility. I think children, in a way like no other, represent the goodness of God and the goodness and preciousness of life. 
Today we celebrate All Saints Sunday, and we're celebrating the baptism of two of our newest and littlest saints, Nate and Mary Grace. So it's especially appropriate for us this morning to consider the gift of children. And I want to consider what it means to receive the gift of children, and what it means to nourish the gift of children. So receiving this gift and nourishing this gift. So receiving the gift of children, we should receive and welcome children into our lives, our churches, our families, because Jesus welcomes children. In our gospel lesson, parents are seeking to bring their infants to Jesus so that he might bless them. And the disciples are getting upset about this. They feel like this is inappropriate. They shouldn't let this happen. And so they were kind of running interference for Jesus. They didn't think that infants belonged to Jesus in this way. But this draws a sharp rebuke from Jesus. Let the children come to me, Jesus says, and do not hinder them. Don't prevent them from coming to me. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Jesus wants infants, little children of all ages, brought to him. We shouldn't put up any roadblocks like the disciples did. Why? Because Jesus receives little children. For to such as these belong the kingdom of God. Also, children are held up Jesus tells us as an example of faith. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a small child shall not enter into it. Jesus' attitude towards children is in line with what we read in our lesson from the Psalter. Psalm 127, 3-4. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. We've considered a bit about how some folks consider children, some folks uh, have attitude towards children. But how does Scripture, what sort of attitude does Scripture have towards children? Well, from these verses, words like, children are a heritage, they're fruit, they're a reward, they're arrows, they bring blessing. And the Bible's attitude towards children is that when it comes to children, the more the merrier. Now, that's not to say there's no place for Christian couples exercising wisdom and thinking about how many children they can responsibly care for, the number of children, how you space them out. All of those are questions of wisdom. But even before you get there, the attitude should be children are a blessing. And for a Christian couple, we are open to and we would welcome, if it's God's will, children and as many as the Lord would give us into our home. We receive them as a blessing. The basic point is this. The Bible is child positive. From conception, the psalmist says in Psalm 139, that the Lord knit us together in the womb, formed us together in the womb. From conception all the way through, children are a blessing. Their life is precious. The desire for a married couple, the desire for children is a good thing. We should receive them like Jesus does as a blessing. Now in Matthew 19.10, In another uh, episode in Jesus' life when he is welcoming and receiving children, right after this similar encounter that we read about in Luke 18, Jesus puts uh, again puts forward children as examples of faith, and he tells his disciples something interesting. He says, take care that you do not despise one of these little ones. And we think about how how might we despise children, little children? Well, I can think of a few ways. One, uh, we can ignore them. 
Um, obviously, ignoring our children would be one way that we despise children. Um, abdicating our parental responsibilities or being sure that no annoying kids are around us. Um, outsourcing absolutely everything as parents to others. Scripture teaches us, though, that children need the active presence of mom and dad. Mother and father, these roles are not interchangeable. They're unique and they're necessary for the health and the well-being of a child. So one way that we can despise kids is by just sort of ignoring them. But on the opposite end of the spectrum, another way I think that we can despise kids is by idolizing them. Making them think that they're the center of the universe. We sort of train them to be little gods when we do this. And so if they grow up to be narcissists, we shouldn't be surprised. We perhaps had a role in that. And then what happens also when we idolize our kids, we as parents can begin to find our identity in our kids, where our identity becomes completely enmeshed with that of our children. So we can ignore them, we can idolize them, but also we can insult them, underestimate them. We live in a culture that idolizes youth and immaturity. Youth and immaturity all around us. This is what's cool. This is what we want, perpetual youth. And with that, you can't avoid immaturity. Jesus does put forward children as examples of faith. Childlikeness, when it comes to trusting in Jesus, is a good thing. Perpetual childishness is not a good thing when it comes to growing up. We should want kids to be kids and honor them in age-appropriate ways as we receive them, but we should challenge them to grow into maturity. Part of the parental responsibility is to lead them in a way that they are maturing, physically, emotionally, spiritually, intellectually. We should not over or underestimate them spiritually. This is actually one of Jesus's points, I think, that's in his engagement with children. The disciples were underestimating the spiritual potential of children. This is Jesus's point. We want to receive children, even our littlest children as, as believers, as tiny little Christians who even now somehow have a relationship with God in ways that we can't comprehend. But we expect, we want to lead them in such a way that they grow up into maturity. So we want to be the sort of church that honors this perspective on children, to encourage them to maturity. Now, we have age-appropriate things for children. I see them right now on the patio right there having a good time, enjoying a lesson of their own. But we want to incorporate them into the life of the church as much as possible. Keep them in the service for as long as that we can. It's hard. I know this. But our kids can learn the liturgy. They can learn the Lord's Prayer. They can learn meaty, robust hymns. They can do this. I've seen this happen in this church. They can memorize Scripture. We shouldn't insult them by continually underestimating them. So we should receive the gift of children. We should receive them as blessings. We should not despise them. But also we should nourish this gift, nourish the gift of children. The Bible puts forward children as a blessing for us to receive, but it also directs us on how to receive them as God's blessing. All blessings, we know, come with responsibilities. Children come into the world as a basket of neediness and helplessness. So they need direction. Our epistle lesson from Ephesians gives us just that. We nourish the gift of children in really three ways that I, I can see here in Ephesians. Through discipline, through discipleship, and imitation. So discipline. Ephesians 6.1. Children. You know, it's a sad thing that we've dismissed the children already because they need to hear this part. So parents, <laughs> tell them this is in the Bible. Um, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Children have one rule in the Christian home. Obey mom and dad in the Lord. 
Now, this assumes a Christian context in the Lord. That is very important. That qualifies lots of things about how we think about discipline, how we think about the status of our children. Christian children and Christian parents have a relationship, though, that is nourished through obedience. For this is right, uh, Paul says. And then he goes on to quote the fifth commandment from the Ten Commandments. He says, Honor your father and mother, that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. This is basic for a Christian home. Parents have a shared authority in the home when it comes to raising children. Their task is to bring about order in the home, to resist and push back against chaos, to bring order and to raise up godly children. Malachi 2.5 tells us that God seeks godly offspring from the union of a man and woman. This is our task for those of us who are called to be parents, to bring up young men and women who grow up into godliness. Every home develops a culture. And the Christian home is a culture that resists chaos and seeks order through godly discipline. Order only comes through honoring authority, the God-given authority structures that God has put in place. So fathers, instruct your children to always honor their mother. Mothers, instruct your children to always honor their father. And so when your children ask, well, how can I do this, mom and dad? Joyful obedience. This is what we're after, joyful obedience. In our home, we call this the happy path. You need to get on the happy path. Get off the sad path and get on the happy path. And mom and dad, we are building this path for you, and it's called the happy path. And we're working really hard to lay out this path, and we work really hard to show you the way to the happy path. You don't know the way to the happy path. You think you do, but you don't. You have to learn to trust us that we actually know the way to happiness. And you are getting off that path. So come back. Join us on the happy path. <laughs> Loving godly discipline is the happy path. And it is not easy. Discipline, though, we have to understand, is based on God's relationship with us. This is so fascinating to me. Uh, the Lord, Scripture tells us, disciplines his children he loves. Our basic orientation to God should be, he is our loving father. This is what we pray, our father in heaven. He loves us more than anyone. He nourishes us, receives us more than anyone. And yet, as a good father, he disciplines us through trials, through circumstances. The writer of the Hebrews says this, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. This is just a statement of fact, right? But the writer goes on to say, later on, however, it, discipline produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained in it. So in our relationship with God, the Lord doesn't let us have everything we want, often for reasons we can't even begin to imagine. It's a bit frustrating, but we have to trust that he is God, we are not. He knows what's best for us. He knows the, happy, the ultimately happy path. The Lord frustrates our plans again and again and again because he knows what's best. And then the Lord, even as a loving father, lets us trip up over ourselves so that we'll learn a lesson. He lets us get on the bike before we're ready, take off so that we can learn from the fall. But the Lord is a loving father who seeks a harvest of righteousness and peace in our lives. I think that is the goal of Christian parenting. That seems to be the goal of God's parenting of us, a harvest of righteousness and peace, I think that should be the goal of Christian parenting, 
that we would seek a harvest of righteousness and peace. This implies that we are sowing and doing the hard work of farming and tilling, which some of you know firsthand can be so frustrating, and it takes so much time to realize a fruit. But yet this is what we're called to do, this slow, plodding work. Why? So that one day we can see a harvest of righteousness and peace. Proverbs 29, 17, Discipline your son, and he will give you Sabbath. He will give you rest. He will delight your heart. Now, like everything, there are extremes that we have to be aware of, right? There's a home of a thousand rules. So many rules that even the parents can't keep track of what the rules are. Where there's so many no's. What happens, what settles in is sort of this totalitarian regime where the authority of the parents is represented by coldness and distance and anger. This is a legalistic type home. But on the other end, there's a lawless home where the children are absolutely the ones in control. And the parents are more worried about upsetting the kids than they are about establishing authority in the home. But a gospel home has both grace and law. It's a home full of grace and forgiveness and acceptance. It's a type of home where even the parents can ask their children for forgiveness when they mess up. It's a home where rules are kept to a minimum. Jesus, by the way, when he comes, out of all the laws that we have in the Old Testament, actually there's really only 10 in the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, Jesus helps us out. He reduces it down to two. Love God and love your neighbor, right? I think a gospel home is where the rules are kept to a minimum, but they're lovingly enforced. It's a home built on grace and loving discipline that enjoys and seeks a harvest of righteousness and peace. So discipline is a way that we nourish this gift of children, but also discipleship. We nourish our children through discipleship. Ephesians 6, 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the education and instruction of the Lord. Paul has invested mom and dad with a shared authority over the home, so he's first addressed children. They're supposed to obey the parents who have this authority. But here he singles out fathers, and he says, don't provoke your children to anger. There's, there's two, two things fathers need to know. Don't provoke your children to anger, and you do everything you can do in your power to raise your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now, I wonder if Paul singles out dads here because fathers perhaps have a tendency to check out when it comes to getting in the weeds with raising children. Uh, we have an epidemic of fatherlessness in our society. Dads who have, in effect, checked out who are, who are literally absent. The father's role, however, is every bit as essential as the mother's in raising children. St. Paul, I think, here is calling fathers, in effect, to take final responsibility in a particular way in their homes. And note the language here. This word for, um, uh, uh, is, did I translate it, education? It's paideia. It's education, the education and instruction of the Lord. Christian fathers need to ensure that their sons and daughters are being discipled in the Christian faith. Proverbs 1.8, listen, my son, this is a father talking to a son, to your father's instruction, forsake not your mother's teaching. It's not a question of whether your children will be discipled and catechized and formed into a particular culture. But the question is, who will disciple them? What catechism will they learn? What culture will they absorb? There's a world outside the church that is eager to do that job for you. And has a ton of resources. They're very good at it. And our children, sponges that they are, are eager to learn. 
Parents are to take authority over the formation of their children's hearts and minds. The church certainly has a role to do this, the church and parents working together, but there's a particular role that the parents have as well, of doing all that they can to ensure that their children are being brought up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Where will your children learn the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother? Where will they learn practical Christian obedience? Where will they learn how to respect elders, which is so important? Where will they learn how to exercise self-control? Where will they learn the scriptures? Where will they learn how to pray? Where will they learn the gospel? And the assumption here in this teaching is that the primary place they learn these things is from parents. Now, imitation is critical in all of this. Just a bit about imitation. The whole do as I say, not as I do won't cut it. Kids see right through that. Kids are the world's greatest hypocrisy detectors ever. (laughs) Earlier in Ephesians, Ephesians 5.1, Paul makes the astounding command, be imitators of God. To be a good father or mother requires the same thing to be a good husband or wife. It's to be committed to following Jesus, to be an imitator of God and his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Children learn by imitation. They absorb the world around them. They do, whether you like it or not, what mom and dad do. Felt a little guilty the other day when Owen picked up my phone and was like, I'm just doing what daddy does. Like, oh. We need to set good examples by what we do so that our children can follow them. Every home, every home should be a study center where the scriptures are discussed. Parents, you don't have to be a Bible expert. You might know very, very little about the Bible. Well, start learning right now. And start teaching your children right now. It's okay. You don't have to get to some level of perfection. We are all on this learning journey as well. But you can establish a culture. We're going to learn the Christian faith together. Every home should be a retreat center. A Christian retreat center. A place of joy and rest. Our home should be places where our kids know that they can come home. Feel and know something of the Lord's goodness and acceptance through the way that we treat them. That they can find rest. But every home also, and I like this one, should be a boot camp, a training center, a place where discipline is learned so our children can go out as they grow up and as one day we send them out to a fight real adult battles. And they'll be ready for it. Parents of young kids, imagine your kids 20 years from now. What do you see? What do you want to see? Look, there are no guarantees that we can control outcomes, Right? We, 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 that, that's why this is the Christian faith, not the Christian world of guaranteed outcomes. We, we live life by faith, not by sight. Even when it comes to parenting, all we can do is sow seeds and do our best seeking God's forgiveness as we raise our children. Who knows what will happen? But what we can do is make a commitment as parents being faithful right now in what's in front of us right now on Sunday, November 3rd, 2019. And we can make a commitment to be faithful tomorrow into the days after, and by God's grace, after 10,000 small acts of obedience and lots of messing up along the way, we may see a harvest of righteousness and peace in our children. We may see children who follow Jesus Christ love God and love others. Children are a gift. They're a gift to be received and a gift to be nourished. Let's pray.